Hello, nerds. You'll have to help me out tonight. I'm a little nervous. It has been a while. But again, we are back. So, hello from Castle Royenstein. My fellow Hoovians tonight, predominantly. It has been a troubling few days. That's something I'll talk about in 501. Tonight, however, you are listening to 499. Yes, I've skipped mentioning 500. I'll tell you at the end of the show about that. But tonight, episode 499 of Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror podcast, recorded on Thursday, the 31st of August, 2023, at 23. 0510. Thanks, as usual, for tuning in. Let's return to that topic of what the hell happened to the podcast. Well, it hasn't been that long, really, but I've been promising on Twitter that there'd be a whole raft of Doctor Who episodes and nothing happened. Well, until tonight. Tonight, we are talking about the Doctor Who adventure, Terminus from 1983. So that's that covered. What happened? Other than that trouble that I mentioned earlier, a few other factors conspired as well, and we are down to, as usual, excuses. So no one really wants to hear those. I'm standing here again, though, in front of the mic, with my... Oh dear, I've left the stupid amp on. One second. That should be quite a bit quieter now. Ah, what an idiot. Where were we? Yeah, okay, revisit journal. I said in 498 that I'm running my spoken audio through a D-clicker. That is, running the entire piece of audio through a D-clicker. I've listened to that episode several times now, and it isn't great. I've tried this before, I swore I wouldn't do it again, and then laziness got the best of me, and I tried it again, and it wasn't great. See, the trouble is, that D-clicker is chopping off the ends of many of my words, I won't be doing that again. And I beseech many of you out there who are podcasters, if you're using, is it Rx or anyway, any form of D-clicker, there's a free one in Audacity, don't use it too much. It will remove the end of your words If you are someone from Liverpool, with plenty of fricatives and all those interesting vocal sounds that you chaps make up there, or ladies, and you want to keep them in, which I suggest you do, be careful with D-clickers. It will smooth out your voice, but they will be absent of character. 
all the curls will disappear. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to running the D-Clicker only where the clickiness of my voice is so terribly egregious that I have to. Editing audio is not easy. <laughs> and finally, still on the subject of audio, the Shure SM7B that I keep banging on about is back in its box. It is definitively better than the mic I'm speaking to you on now, the Shure SM58, and I'm sticking to the latter for the time being. It's got a little more punch, and also it's just a smaller mic. It's not a huge, great bazooka staring at you in the face. That was a lot of needless flummery. Let's actually get on with the show. Flummery? Is that the right word? Okay, as I said, we're talking about Terminus from 1983. Let me give you a little pre-rundown. The Fifth Doctor is, of course, played by Peter Davison. His companions are Nyssa, played by Sarah Sutton. Oh, God. Sarah Sutton. Tegan, played by Janet Fielding. <laughs> I said that wrong again. Vizlor Turlow, played by Mark Strickson. Notable cast include The Black Guardian, played by Valentine Dial. I didn't say much about him in the episode where I talked about Mordred Undead. What was that? 497. So I say a tiny little bit now, and maybe a little bit later. He was a distinguished and prolific actor in loads and loads of things, but... We are talking genre, we are geeks, so let's stick to that. And notably, I noticed he had a part in The Avengers, Blake 7, and he was the voice of Deep Thought in the TV series version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy from the 80s. A character tonight called Kari, also more on her later, was played by Lisa Goddard. Also, another very well-known British actress. Notably for us, she was in an episode of Tales of the Unexpected. The director was Mary Ridge, who also directed Blink Seven's Terminal. So she directed Doctor Who Terminus and Blake Seven Terminal. Come on, that's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it? The writer was Stephen Gallagher, who also wrote the script from Warrior's Gate, and is an author of whom I am a fan. He also wrote novelizations for the film starring Kirk Douglas and Farah Fawcett, if you remember that, Saturn 3, Chimera, which was a science fiction television series, Silver Dream Racer, which was a drama film starring David Essex about a motorcycle racer that I actually really quite liked back then. I think I read the book as well. He is most notable for horror writing with books like Follower, Valley of Lights, 
I think I've read Follower. No, I have read Follower. I'm not sure about Valley of Lights. Also, October, which I definitely have read and enjoyed, and The Boathouse, again, a novel that I have read and enjoyed. There are other books that I'd like to get to of his that I still haven't got round to reading. Maybe someday. The producer was JNT. As for locations, those were Ealing Film Studios and BBC Television Centre in 1982. There's quite a lot of model work, interesting spaceships, stuff like that. I don't know where that was filmed. Was that done at Television Centre? I thought they had another place where they did that. <laughs> that was my pathetic knowledge of Who coming in, which proves to you this is more of a casual Who podcast. Or am I selling myself short? I don't know. Yeah, don't know much about the production process around those models, but it was very notable. As for broadcast, this was story... 126 and Serial 4 of Season 20. It followed Mordrin Undead, which we talked about in 497, and consisted of four around 25-minute episodes, and was first broadcast from the 15th to the 23rd of February, 1983. Media Releases the target novelization was by, no surprise here, Stephen Gallagher in 1983. Terminus was released on VHS in 1993 on DVD as part of the Black Guardian trilogy, which included Mordred Undead, Terminus and Enlightenment in 2009, and again on DVD as Doctor Who DVD Files, issue 140 in 2014. Zeitgeist, well, unsurprisingly, I'm going to let you down here. <laughs> the number one song in the UK was Too Shy by Kajagoogoo, a song I have absolutely no recollection of. Yes, you see, this is one of the worst Zeitgeist sections ever. <laughs> I honestly couldn't find anything of interest on that day. I do apologise if some of the Whovians were born on that day. Let me know. That's the 15th of February, 1983. As usual, I'll play you a short clip and then I'll tell you what happens. Okay, here we go. Rolling clip in three, two, one. How did you get here? This is I'm going to burst. Know what would happen if one of those exploded? It'd be more than just a loud bang. I'll miss you both. But here I have a chance to put into practice the skills I learnt on Traken. Hope you enjoyed that clip. Let me now tell you what happens in the Doctor Who story from 1983 titled Terminus. On board the TARDIS... The Black Guardian appears to Turlow and tells him to disable the TARDIS console. Turlow reluctantly 
eventually does as he's told, and the TARDIS becomes extremely unstable. Luckily, some emergency circuits kick in and attach it to a passing spaceship. Seeing the instability encroaching on Nyssa in her room, the Doctor tells Nyssa to escape through a door that has a sinister skull painted on it that materialises in her room. Aboard the ship that they have become attached to, the Doctor and Nyssa meet raiders who are searching for valuable cargo, a pair of them. While the raiders menace the Doctor, the raider ship that they came on leaves their colleagues in the lurch because apparently the larger craft is in fact a plague ship full of lazars on their way to Terminus for a cure, which is rumoured to be available there. The Lazars are desperate people covered in rags and sores who appear to have a disease similar to leprosy. And then Nyssa becomes infected. On Terminus, the staff of slave guards called the Vanir are paid in a drug called Hydromel. That is a medicine that allows them to live on the severely irradiated structure at the centre of the universe, Terminus. Nyssa is taken by the Garm beast, who has also been enslaved, but is resistant to radiation, to a room where she is cured. The Doctor finds out that the ship's engines caused the Big Bang billions of years ago, which projected it to the end of time. And now, at the end of time, the ship is building up to another explosion that will end the universe. Freed from servitude, the wolf-like humanoid Garm's immense strength helps the Doctor to turn off this red throttle lever in the cockpit area, and the explosion is narrowly averted. At the end of the story, Nyssa says she's going to stay behind to help make Hydromel for the Vanir, and together they will convert Terminus into a real hospital. She says goodbye to her friends, hugs them, there's some crying, and then the Doctor and Tegan leave, and the Black Guardian warns Turlow that he has only one chance left to kill the Doctor, and then the deal's off. Obviously I've skipped through quite a lot. There's a scene where Turlow's tortured by the Black Guardian... Uh, scenes where Tegan, with her excellent intuition, sees through Turlow's subterfuge, and she just doesn't like him. He's a creepy fellow. But maybe I'm jumping on ahead. 
let me tell you what I thought. Okay, we are now in the official what I thought section. Let's get back to Turlo. Turlo is a slimy young man. Tegan is absolutely right not to trust him because according to that bargain he has with the Black Guardian, his job is to kill the Doctor, while the Doctor himself is a bit of a toss spot for not seeing through Turlo's self-serving and rather amoral smarminess. He is just a fan of Turlo because Turlo is so hyper-intelligent. It's all fairly sordid. Let's talk about the Garm for a moment. Yes, Stephen Gallagher likes his noble beasts, both inside Doctor Who and outside in his own fiction. For example, we have the Garm in Terminus, the strong wolfman of Terminus, with a slightly comical um, creature design. It's got this giant wolf's head and a bulky body, but he seems to move in this funny shuffling gait. There is, of course, Warrior's Gate's Leonine Men. There's, from outside Doctor Who and onto television, Chimera's Good Ape Man. Then into his horror novels, there's October's Enslaved Wolves, psychically linked to a man. There is... The Boathouse's murderous but misunderstood Rosalka from Slavic folklore. A sort of killer mermaid of lakes. Ah, again, that reminds me of how much I like Stephen Gallagher's work. Uh, no, I'm probably not going to interview him on this podcast because that may ruin my suspension of disbelief. As I said earlier on, I think I was straying into this section inadvertently with my enthusiasm, perhaps. The spaceship models and practical effects were glorious. I really do love a good spaceship model. It's very, very sci-fi. It's something I really enjoy. Ah, oh, yeah. Thunderbirds, Space 1999. Ah. I was on Twitter earlier, trying to find out where this chap who posts close-ups of models from Doctor Who got his TARDIS. Man, I'd really like one of those. I'd really like a TARDIS. And I know this is fictional, and I know that the next thing I would like, uh, something on my desk, isn't from fiction. It is the Concorde. Ah, oh, I'd like one of those too. And the Starship Enterprise, and of course the Liberator. Ooh, getting a bit excited here. <laughs> Where was I? Um, okay. Went off on one about <laughs> spaceship models. Okay, next. Nyssa. <laughs> there is a scene in which Nyssa is infected 
by that leprosy-like plague and has a fever and suddenly becomes extremely hot and decides to ditch her skirt. That is weird and tonally at odds with everything. And of course, completely unsexy, which I'm assuming Sarah Sutton was not going for. Because she's got this hideous flesh-rotting plague. (laughs) I mean, I appreciate the gesture, but yeah, that was kind of weird in that scene. (laughs) On the other hand, Lisa Goddard is a damn sexy space raider. Like someone out of Sarah Brightman's and Hot Gossips, I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper from 1978. Oh my god, I really like that. Disco, sci-fi, what's not to like? Yeah, she's got this tight white costume, bubble helmet, a ray gun, and a cool spacey uh, look to her face. She's got this nice makeup job going on. And by the way, she does have a partner who is a male who is... Equally well turned out, but frankly, yeah, I wasn't really paying attention to him that much. (laughs) I don't even know the name of the actor. I'm sorry. I'm sure he's out there. He's quite young in this, so he's probably still working. Ah, I'm sweating a bit, thinking about Lisa Goddard, the spacer, and also Nyssa ditching the skirt, and also amazing spacecraft models. Yeah, it was pretty good. Okay, where am I? (laughs) Uh, Enough perving, let us get on. Okay. The name of this story, Terminus, End of the Line, that is a very, very depressing and sinister name for a hospital, which I suppose is the whole point. It is used in sort of the same way in The Walking Dead, which also has a place of the same name, although that is not a hospital or a sanctuary. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that episode, it's a long time ago now. It's full of cannibals. The Vanir's need for Hydromel, that drug that keeps them going, reminded me strongly of Blake Seven's Federation's Mutoids need for blood serum, and Deep Space Nine's Dominion's Jem'Hadar, and their need for Ketracel White. As, indeed, did their method of feeding. As far as I can see, that method of feeding where you open up your jacket and stick a tube into your chest was first used on Blake 7 in the episode Duel from 1978. And I cannot believe that DS9 didn't steal from that, and Doctor Who also didn't steal from that. Talking of the Vanir, the Vanir in the real world were Norse prosperity gods like Freya, The name is also used in Conan the Barbarian from 1982, 
by that group of vicious henchmen of Thalsar Doom, who raid and destroy and kill everyone in Conan's village. And, of course, here as the slave guards of Terminus. I suppose that the warrior-like design of this radiation armour may have something to do with their naming, and I'm almost certain that the influence is from Conan the Barbarian. A vastly enjoyable film. I can't believe anyone hasn't seen that film at this stage. But if you haven't, go and watch it. It is amazing. Probably one of the best sword and sorcery films ever made. And certainly something that you want to look at if you're scrabbling around for something to watch, because we've still got this SAG-AFRA and WGA strike going on, and apparently films and TV shows are getting delayed. There's a suggestion. But also, there is other things to do than watch TV. There are a lot of genre books that you can read. Sorry, I'm straying. Let us move back to what I thought. Okay. Aha. Uh -huh. That was quite brief. It is time to make a judgment. I thought this was a quick and simple old Who story, with the usual sympathy and admiration for the beast that is usually characteristic of Stephen Gallagher's work, although we see that also in Doctor Who generally. There are enjoyable scenes in space with those fabulous, amazing spacecraft modelling work, and there is an abrupt and sad goodbye to Nyssa. There are hugs and tears, and then Tegan and the Doctor leave. Goodbye, Nyssa. We'll miss you. And maybe try trousers? <laughs> Let's move on to trivia. Even more on Valentine Dial or Dial to make a why do I Welshify that name? It looks Welsh, but apparently he was English. Anyway, Valentine Dial or Dial, however you say that. We have even more information to make up for 497's dearth of information. And I've already told you something of his background at the top of the show, here's a little piece of trivia that you might enjoy. In the Hammer film Lust for a Vampire from 1971, watch it. I mean, don't watch it as a warning to watch your behaviour. I mean, just go and watch it. What am I doing? In that movie, Count Karnstein, the main villain, was played by a chap called Mike Raven. And believe me, we could do a whole episode just about Mike Raven. But anyway, that's not the point of this. The point of this is Mike Raven, pretty good actor, definitely suited to playing a noble vampire, Count Karnstein, had a voice that was deemed unsuitable for that character, and so his dialogue was replaced by Valentine Dial's voice. Bit of a kick in the nuts, if you're an actor. Mind you, 
didn't. Uh, oh God, what was his name? Uh, the Green Cross Code guy. <laughs> it was a big muscly guy. Uh, oh, anyway, the guy who played Darth Vader's suit actor. He was quite taken aback that he wasn't allowed to provide the voice, and instead that went to James Earl Jones. But thank God it did. Okay, where were we? Uh, oh yeah, uh, second bit of trivia on Lisa Goddard, Kari the Raider. She dated Lisa Goddard, not Kari the Space Pirate. Fraser Hines, another companion of an earlier Doctor, and was briefly married to Colin Baker. Our next Doctor. Briefly, apparently only lasted 18 months. But that's between them. Okay, regarding the skirt-dropping incident. In Doctor Who, 25 glorious years, Sutton says, according to an excerpt from Wikipedia, I still smile when I remember how the production office kept getting letters of complaint about Nyssa being too covered up. So that's why, when I left the series in Terminus, I decided to drop my skirt as a parting gesture to all those fans who had written in. And we thank you for that, even though it was tonally weird. Sorry, back to this quote. Mind you, it caused such a stir at the time, and as I'm still being asked about it when I'm interviewed, I'm not sure it was a wise thing to have done. Maybe not. Didn't really fit into the episode. But bravo nonetheless. And that is it. That is it for my chat about the Doctor Who story Terminus from 1983. I hope you enjoyed it. And now I just want to tell everyone to prepare for three days of podcasting. That isn't three solid days, like 24, whatever, how many, 72 hours? No, I'm not doing a marathon podcast, that would be insane. I mean, I'm doing this episode tonight, the 500th episode special tomorrow, that should be fun, expect light refreshments, and our regular giant Everything Geek show the day after that. In order to motivate me, please share the show on the socials. Get in touch with me to prove to me that you, the audience, still exist. And are not just a figment of my imagination. And maybe, if it's not too much to ask, tip me a few galactic credits at Ko-Fi. And that's it. That was me uneasily easing myself back into podcasting. Oh my god, it's been more than a decade. It never gets any easier. The show that you just listened to tonight is made by me. My name is Roy Matur. I'm a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. If you don't pronounce it right, I will mock you mercilessly. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatour.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform, but particularly Apple Podcasts. Please recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy. I'm not begging you to do that. I am commanding you to do that. Or click on the contact or support link on the website. Everybody, 
Thanks for tuning in, my fellow nerds, my fellow geeks, my fellow Whovians. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 499, recorded on Thursday, the 31st of August, 2023, and the time at the end of the show is... 234437. Thanks for listening, and bye bye for now. Bye!